Good morning, different sir. Hey, good morning, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> cool. Uh, so you are, uh, you're not Derek, it seems like. Nope, I'm not. I'll talk to yeah. Derek later, but I'm taking his place right now. Just for, just for right now. Yeah. So on the line, we have Mr. Matt Wensing, founder and CEO of Summit, forecasting tool for SaaS businesses, host of Out of Beta podcast, which I was on like a couple weeks ago, which is super fun. And most relevantly, uh, founder of Risk Pulse, which is predicts supply chain risk for very large companies. And as part of that, you did a lot of sales and larger sales deals, which is what I'm hoping to pick your brain about today. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I did a lot of deals. I-, I was trying to think of like a way to introduce that. And just to give folks an idea, you know, I've, I've sold every price point from 300 bucks a year, which I really should never have been on the phone to do, but I did anyway, all the way up to, you know, $300,000 a year, actually more than that. So it's, it gave me a lot of experience trial by fire too. So it's really fun to try to pass along at least what I've learned in my experience. Mm-hmm. Did you walk those prices up just by like realizing that this was giving more and more value to bigger companies? I did. Yes. The short answer is yes. In order to give them the buying experience that they wanted, you kind of had to charge more. And what, what did they want? They wanted like a lot of handholding and PowerPoint? They, they did. There's that saying, uh, not original with me, and I forget who said it, but it was, uh, you know, at the low end, people expect the you know the service to be free and the product to be what they pay for and at the very high end they expect the product to be free and the service is what they're actually paying for so so it's like you get to talk to my team and me which is worth six figures easily per year in terms of consulting and you get to use this product when we're not talking to you that's kind of what it ended up <laughs> that's what i have feeling like now obviously you do end up scaling data and, and there is this service that's not possible without the product but you really do realize at some point that they're getting a ton of value outside of the product so you might as well charge for it and that's what you end up doing totally yeah i mean the, the thing i'm starting to realize about sales which i am new to is that i'm kind of doing project management for somebody else oh yes it's like they have this project of getting tuple purchased and I am the one that is making sure it actually happens. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And you've got stakeholders and influencers and naysayers. And it's just like any other project, you know. Um, I'm mostly not trying to convince anyone of anything. A lot of the times it's like, hi, I'm John from Procurement. And the team wants Tuple. And it's like, great. Okay, so that's already done. Surely most of the work is done. It's like, no, <laughs> most of the work is not done, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it, most of it's not done. I was thinking about this before we spoke today, like what's unique about Ben's experience. And from what I can tell, yeah, you you get to skip a couple chapters of most sales books, which are about the convincing and, and coordination of all of those stakeholders. The fact that you get to go straight to the, we want to buy this thing. Yeah, like the the naive assumption is that, hey, that's great. Like now it's just straightforward there's still project to be done, right? And, that, and then what happens once they get the product? Like, I don't know if you've encountered yet their desire to learn how to use it better or maybe even understand best practices or how do we get the most out of this thing? A lot of times that manifests as like someone emailing us and saying, it would be great if it did X and like it, it does X. We already have that feature. We just have not made it discoverable enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before you know it, you'll have like the standard video library that's available to people to you know, watch if they want to. And you'll still get questions though. I wrote up this like pair programming guide 
kind of as a content marketing resource. And we have like a feedback box on it. And the feedback, the last handful of feedback things I've gotten were like basically complaining about how it doesn't talk about tuple. <laughs> so like these people were looking for like a manual and they'd be like, this is, this doesn't say anything about the app. What is, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, and it'll be interesting to find out like the cost to serve these customers as well over time. I mean, the, the, the wonderful thing would be if, if they were all just completely hands off, but probably not. But no, you, you do have this really awesome situation from what I can tell that you've gotten to skip the, I mean, there's methodologies and models for how you challenge the customer to understand what's in their best interest, even though they might not realize it and to convince the crusty naysayers to, to buy into your new fangled thing. Um, so far, you haven't had to deal with that. I'm sure that might come eventually. Like if, if for example, someone like, you know, IBM was like, we want to get into pair programming. There might be somebody there who's like, don't we already have Blue JX25000, which already does this screen sharing thing? We don't need that. And then you'll have to persuade. <laughs> you'll have to decide if it's worth it. But then you're like, wait a minute, but there's like 25,000 developers there. Like, this, mm-hmm. this is probably worth it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember talking to you or sharing with you or something that page I wrote about like purchasing Tuple as a, yeah. like I think you could share with your boss more or less. Mm-hmm. I've started on this process because sometimes people do end up in that state where they like the, we seem to be adopted from the bottom up as opposed to from the top down. And so I wanted to make something that would empower a developer to help this process move forward. That's great. You know, in thinking about that, bottoms up is going to work in organizations that are themselves where the innovation is coming from the bottom up. Or maybe maybe it's not, maybe the top is not not innovative, but the bottom is like, is innovative. Where, where the top's down happens because it has to happen is where somebody you know, with new thinking caps on gets installed at the director or VP level and says, how do I get this engineering organization to be more productive and more with the times, if you will? And then, you know, who knows, like maybe half the organization is developers have been doing it their way for the last 12 or 17 years or whatever. And, you know, now you do have to figure out this top down, bottom up simultaneous thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about trying that at some point because like, i was when i was on out of beta you were saying okay you've you've got shopify as a customer why aren't you going and finding more shopify's and my answer was more or less well shopify started with a small team and expanded over time i don't exactly know how to start from the top like i'm not even sure starting from the top makes sense like it seems like it's not super common for like a high level person to dictate down the tech team like what kind of tech they're going to use yeah like one thing i was thinking of since then is it could just be the case that if I was like, hey, I've, I've wired up a free trial, a free pilot for your team, large company, for the next 60 days, feel free to distribute this to any team in the engineering org that wants to give it a shot. Mm. Like that could be something that works. Yeah, yeah. And it, it makes me wonder about tools like uh, Slack and Zoom as well. Like you could totally see people trying to adopt those or, or adopting those in, in small squad settings but then there is definitely a top-down sale that has to happen for the whole organization to get on to get on board not just from a convincing standpoint but like you were saying earlier just from like a rollout standpoint you need coordination across departments so that you don't have 17 contracts with tuple um (laughs) so yeah and then whose budget does that come out of and why is it coming out of my budget and all of that stuff. Right. <laughs> I was actually reading about this in terms of Slack in particular. 
and they talk about how like their sales process is still very much like it's still kind of bottom up actually and they say like our best sales results come when we can go and talk to someone and say look at all these happy users you already have in these various departments yeah yeah we should talk about a bigger thing of course yeah that makes sense so i think that that actually might be the right model for us too Mm -hmm. yeah i i think so and there's definitely playbooks and templates you can use for that i mean that's the good news is that gosh, there's a lot of content out there about how to do sales for SaaS in the enterprise compared to what there used to be. And like, just for listeners sake, you know, Jason Lemkin and Saster is like the holy grail and mecca of all this knowledge. And Brian Balfour as well of HubSpot, you know, Mafia wrote a lot of really awesome sales material in this regard. Just the, just like the templates, not just for the collateral or the phone calls but like the organizational models that support certain kinds of sales so we talked on out of beta about farming your enterprise sales folks at tuple one day (laughs) might just be farming your customer base and they're not they're not hunters they're actually farmers and like that's relatively new Um, but it's wonderful because like your cost of acquisition just falls to the ground because you know you're not paying guys to get on planes and go to conferences to acquire brand new baby customers you know those are being nurtured by the product and when they're ripe and ready <laughs> you have somebody that knows how to how to bring those together into six-figure contracts totally i got my like a first taste of this the other day where i signed up uh, some company for an annual plan and they're like we want you know nine seats and so i did that and charged them for the nine seats and then i realized like they're they already were using all nine and i was like hey just so you know like you're using nine of nine uh, let me know if you want a couple more of that price. And he was like, yeah, sure. Throw an extra one on there. <laughs> that's great. Like, All right. Wow. Yeah. That was easy money. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's great. Cool. When did you start hiring sales help at Risk Pulse? Ooh, a uh, couple different times. So as, as, <laughs> as I hinted, we went up, we went up from a very small price to very high prices. And like, just to spoil the punchline, it turns out that like salespeople at different price points are different. And so what, what I had to do is I actually had to hire salespeople multiple times and I had to hire different kinds of salespeople each time. And so the original wave was just me and kind of a jack of all trades, answer the phones, customer success, quote prices and take credit card numbers person, which is just fielding inbound interest in credit card purchasing. The person already knows they want to buy they just need pricing and, you know, they just need to get the transaction done. They know this because you had a trial of some kind? Yeah, they knew this because, so I was, a, it was freemium. Um, so it, they were using the free version and I took a lot of risks on freemium in the early days of freemium back in 2006 and seven and eight um, and almost went bankrupt as a company, but it, it ended up working out. They would reach out and say, oh, okay, you know, it's time for us to get the three user license premium version. And then I would have either me or that other salesperson say, oh, that'll be, you know, $1,158 a year because it's some number times three and um, just take their credit card number and get them signed up. So that was, I I started doing that once the sheer volume of answering those inbounds was more than I could handle. But the next, next thing was I, a lot of them weren't reaching out to me. Like they, they were free users and they were companies, but they weren't reaching out. So back in 2012, so like a little bit later, I reached out to a firm called Elastic Sales, uh, which was run by a fellow Steli Efti that most most people know. Steli Efti's Elastic Sales organization. I remember Googling for, or, or sa- at least saying in my head, like, gosh, I wish there was like a an EC2 for sales. 
like something I could spin up and have a bunch of salespeople just attack this huge list of leads. <laughs> Literally, that was like their tagline. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's like, and they were called Elastic Sales. So I was like, oh my gosh. So I, I convinced them that I would be a great early customer of Elastic Sales. And so it was really wonderful because we had seasonal, we had a seasonal sales situation. Um, people bought in the summer uh, and, and tended to not buy in the winter, at least at that time. So it was really cool. Like once they qualified me as a good uh, partner, uh, which is really customer for Elastic Sales, they ended up spinning up two full-time salespeople uh, to call, just cold call the list of like 10,000 wow. free users yeah, that, that we had. And they just kind of made it rain all summer long, which was really cool. It worked. I mean, these customers were very, very overdue for a call from us to say, are you aware of the premium features we have and why haven't you signed up yet? And they're like, not really. I've been thinking about it. And, and they would just do their little do their little call and they would close deals over the phone. That, that was when I realized we needed it was when just the opportunity cost of not doing something was just stupid. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. it was just stupid. So was, yeah. was that like a big turning point in your growth? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That moved us from a freemium model making about $150,000 a year to a, a healthy freemium model making about $600,000 a year. And, and, and there was a lot of other things we did to the approach to the free users. Like we didn't, we made it a little bit easier for them to decide they needed the paid version. <laughs> we took away some stuff and, you know, gussied up the marketing page and made it clear that like, if you're a business, you would be better off with the business edition, that kind of thing. Um, but that combined with calling those people like four extra revenue that summer and we pay commissions to those people. So like elastic was happy, um, but we, we were getting the other 80% that we weren't paying out in commissions. So we were very happy. Like that was, that was definitely a huge year for us. Um, hmm. Yeah. And then, so did you keep up with some sales effort like that? Or once they went through the list, was that like it for a while? Yeah. Unfortunately that was it for a while for us because we just had those just those 10,000 businesses, which like is a lot of the businesses in the entire territory that we were serving. So it was like, there wasn't another 10,000 in that segment to go after. So once they went through that list, it was just about renewing those guys. And then the next question was, okay, now that we've exhausted this, effectively this channel, like this freemium channel, how are we going to make more money? Right? Because we now have the 2000 subscribers out of the 10,000 that are going to become customers for the foreseeable future and so that's where we went to the pricing changes that i talked about earlier of i wonder out of these 2000 like how many would pay twice as much or 10 times more <laughs> and we just kept exploring the the high end of the market um, which was then again like that's a different that's a different skill set than cold calling somebody and getting them to sign up because they're already a free user it's like you're a user i need to understand your organization now how are you using the product? You are a paid user. You know, what's your utilization compared to what it should be? Are you happy with it? Like, there's a whole nother set of qualification questions that you have to go through. So that was a inside sales model, um, which Elastic could have done as well. I mean, I re-engaged them about this, but it, they were they were pivoting their business as well to CRM and kind of wind, winding down the consulting business. So I ended up hiring a handful of inside salespeople um, and contracted VP of sales to run that team to go after the now 2000 paying customers and see who out of them is willing to go from say 25 bucks a month to 250 bucks a month 
Um, so that, that was the next phase. Super interesting. <laughs> it was a ride. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sent you a, a page I wrote over the weekend. Mm-hmm. That enterprise sales details thing. Yeah. I sent it over and I, uh, I'm curious about your thoughts around this. So I had this motivation, which is like, first of all, I'm answering a lot of the same questions when like a larger company wants to buy this thing. Um, but also we're negotiating price pretty uh, in pretty a pretty bespoke way mm-hmm. for these companies. And also there is a real cost to the purchasing process for some of these companies where it's like sometimes it works pretty fast and sometimes it is like literally months of back and forth and filling out Excel spreadsheets and signing up on their vendor management platform. And like it's, it, can be, it can be real work. And so I sort of combined all those goals and I was like, what if I first of all wrote up a page that was, here's everything you hopefully want to know to decide whether or not we're doing this and also the questions you might have during the process. Here is our standard pricing so that we can just, we just know what it costs and I don't need to actually exert any mental energy for each of these deals. And by the way, here's a setup fee, uh, which we're going to charge you if you can't do a fairly streamlined process. And it's fine if you want to do the painful process, but we're just going to sort of price in uh, as a line item the cost to our time and frustration for that. So I'm curious what you what you think of this. I think it's a step in the right direction. I know you were like just throwing it against the wall here uh, for for V1. Like it, it's it's kind of it's kind of fun to see, which is why I'm laughing because like yes, like the the gestures that you're making on this page, like if I can put it that way are correct the tone and like the way you say it is unorthodox but that's because that makes sense too right so like everything you're saying here there's like the there is the professional equivalent of it it's it's almost like you haven't <laughs> you haven't like cast it correctly you know it's like it's yeah like, i know i know what you mean you know what i mean so it's like you know if we have to do this thing like we're going to charge you money it's like oh you mean like long-term contracting and compliance documents like you know there's that there's that phraseology that you learn but this is a practice called sales operations right which is typically at some point like your job is done you ben or your enterprise uh, salesperson's job is done once the procurement person agrees on a price and like a contract and even there like I was thinking about this too earlier before we came on. Like what's what's something that I learned? Selling as a team, like on your side, is way better than selling as a lone wolf or just a solo solo operator. So, you know, I, I know it's really annoying to have handoffs. So I'm not saying we want to like hand people off to, hey, now Joe is going to take care of you because there's a bunch of work I don't want to do. It's like, no, you stay there. But like Joe is there or Jane to do all the stuff you just talked about, fill out the vendor form or whatever, so that you can, so you can stay strategic in your conversations with the, with the champion and the buyer, because like the VP of engineering at Shopify doesn't really care about this stuff either. Like this is the, this is the things that have to get done for his team to be happy. So you can kind of stay at that level. I think actually the language that's on this page would probably resonate with, with him or her um, in a sense, because it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, Ben, this, this is just how we do things here. But like the API, the interface between their their people and your soon-to-be people will end up being formalized into more of a, hey, we need a, you know, we, we need a JSOC 
three whatever whatever dock and it's like oh we, we have one of those over here and oh you need two we, we have that instead like you'll just have a sales operations team which might start out as one person who just does this work right and you know this is oh and hopefully you automate that a bunch but like i don't i don't know that can be completely so anyway back to this page like i think this is it's the nascent form of that happening for tuple which makes sense and i think Yes, it is intentionally cheeky, which kind of fits the tone of talking to developers. But I think you'll end up having a brighter line at some point between, you know, this page is for people who this is their job at some point, maybe. Um, yeah. And, and they're going to want to, you know, not have to rub their toe in the sand too much to <laughs> to, to, to buy your stuff. So you'll... that's Yeah, that's good feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, it, it's correct directionally you know um yeah 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 that was that was part of my question is like am i being a little too sassy here <laughs> yeah yeah you, I, can, it, you can probably feel a little bit of my frustration around the fact that this is a, a thing in the world of, of course and you know you'll find your counterparties at these companies also frustrated um sometimes even more frustrated than you then you'll find the poor person who's like is you know they're sorry they have to do this and then you'll find the person who just loves this stuff and like they could actually be your best friend as long as they feel respected, you know. <laughs> totally, yeah. That's that's a great point. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I was writing this, like, imagining the developer on the other side. Exactly. Or the v, VP of engineering, who absolutely I've already experienced. Like, it's like, I'm so sorry this is taking so long. I'm, I'm sorry, here's another form you have to fill out. But yes, the I imagine the procurement person is not like, I agree. My job is stupid. Um, <laughs> I, we don't. LOL. Yeah, they don't. They sh they should figure out how to get rid of me. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, this is all okay. this is all familiar, all familiar territory, and like, this is good stuff. It it's all going to end up getting priced in, and I mean, another thing you're going to do is you're going to start talking about multi-year contracts at some point because, you know, really they don't want to have to go through this for, you know every 12 months any either because 12 months like nine months so if you think about this like they're gonna have a 90 day or some kind of out clause that says like if you don't want to renew you'll you know let us know before the renewal date and you'll have some you know point of no return where it's like if you don't tell us within 30 days or 90 days of canceling so if you think about that like by the time this is deployed fully and fully utilized and spun up by all the developers there like they might only have eight months before they have to make a renewal decision and people don't want to do that either. So you're going to end up with two to three year contracts, which is going to throw your total contract value through the roof, which is awesome because then you can do, you as Tuple can do all kinds of cool stuff with that. Like that is bankable. That's, that's factorable. That's, that's something you can lend against, right. Or borrow against. So like the asset value of your business is going to be increasingly judged by the total contract value or the amount of amount of revenue you have under contract right um and so the better you get at that you know the better for everybody because now you can say like hey i can hire somebody on the basis of this contract and know that we're good for three years on this money right it's crazy it, it, when we started the business in my mind i was imagining we are going to sell tuple to individual freelancers for some number of you know tens of dollars per month uh -huh. <laughs> and we'll charge them every month on their credit card yeah and now my reality is like what would a three-year deal look like for hundreds of developers it's like oh, such a shift totally they're not going to pay that up front but they'll definitely pay annually and you know that the second check that comes in for like year two that doesn't involve any sales work other than sending an invoice 
Sounds pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. That sounds like my style. I could get used to that. Yeah. 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 And you'll have somebody that sends those invoices and then you'll have a receivables department whose job it is to chase those things and be like, you know, you're hundred, your, your aging report says that you're 120 days past, you know, your normal payment period. Why haven't you paid yet? And you know, that, that will become a thing. So it won't be effortless, but the ones that just pay on time. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. So I, I feel like this is a step I'm going to have to, or like, I think I'll have to write in the doc or something because I don't even think about, oh, what if we just did three years? Like that, that question would not have occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly discount. You can discount the second, I mean, at least two years, basically say, you know, do you want to go through those again? And if you can't get two years, next best thing is an automatic renewal clause that says, you know, I don't think either of us wants to go through this again in eight or nine months. So if you do not cancel this all auto renews, correct. And you know, that, that's what everybody wants because nobody wants to you don't want to have to remember like in december in the middle of the holidays that you need to renew your tuple subscription right you just want it to you want you do not want your service to be discontinued <laughs> suddenly you want to have to opt into discontinuing your service right and it's like oh yeah for sure <laughs> yeah yeah it's like sell once revenue forever that's the goal <laughs> <laughs> i'm sold on that pitch yeah <laughs> yeah yeah sounds good revenue forever the title of my new book <laughs> I, that would that would go yeah right who wouldn't buy that it's so there's this weird thing in my head of like yeah terms of service those don't mean anything that's just like an annoying document you have to click through but it turns out like you can have a piece of paper that has some certain sentences on it that's worth a hundred thousand dollars oh, next year jeez Yes, yes, yes. And that's that's why having a having a strategic law firm involved in your business that knows how to review enterprise sales contracts and has experience with that, pay the $3,000 or $2,000 a heck, they might charge you $1,000 as a courtesy discount. Like literally it's 100x on your spend to go have a good lawyer in Boston look at that for you. And I'm sure OpenView or somebody has like a recommendation for you. That's one way to do it. Um, the other way is anytime you have somebody in the business that has enterprise sales experience like that's the first thing that once we hired an enterprise salesperson so i didn't get to that part of the story and we might not have time but like the first thing he did is like let me look at all your contracts and improve them dramatically for the sake of the business and oh by the way why don't you have an automatic customary price increase of five percent every year because yeah why don't you yeah <laughs> because because inflation's a thing and cost of service a thing and like nope there is literally, there's no enterprise company who's not going to swallow a three to five percent annual contract price increase, and three to five percent on a hundred thousand dollar contract is three to five grand, and having that built in compounding is also like this is how these things turn into annuities, if you will, rather than just you know declining margins, right? Yeah. Okay, more more things like that. What else did this person want to add to your contract? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the, the renewal, it's the auto increase. Um, yeah, you know, and and just looking at, um, you know, there there's some stuff that will bite you later, later. Like if Tuple, you know, uh, if Zoom comes along in five years and says they want to buy Tuple, you know, there are things in those contracts that can hurt you really badly there. Which is like, what's your What's the indemnifications that you have? And, you know, what happens if somebody uses, what, is some, what happens if somebody uses Tuple to do something nefarious at that company? Like, are you liable for that because of what they did? And 
standardization there is what ends up mattering. The problem is, is when you talk to a company like Shopify, that they're going to say like, that's nice that you have a contract. Here's ours. And, you know, <laughs> and this, is the, this is the one we use. So the best thing you can do at that point is have, have your legal or team review it at least and make sure that there's nothing in there that like treats you like a, they, they, some of these companies, like I think you're in a good space work selling to developers and tech companies, but like I sold to manufacturing companies and you, you would not be, maybe you wouldn't be surprised the number of manufacturing companies that treated us as if we were like coming in to install machinery <laughs> into their, into their, into their factory. And so they would have things in there that just like made no sense for our kind of business. Um, and so we had to ask if we can strike those. Now, when you're talking to like a fortune 50, you still might not be able to, but at the very least, like just writing something down that says like, we do not believe that this creates a risk for tuple because X is really nice to have in your data room for future corporate development talks or whatever, because, you know, they will want to see all of your contracts. Right. So that would be my other piece of advice is please store all these in drive or Dropbox or something in a very organized fashion. Um, Maybe even maybe even a CRM or something. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, already doing that. Good. Joel apparently um, has gone through an acquisition of his last company. Oh, good. That this is one of his takeaways. Was like get all these in one place. Golly, yes, yes, yep. Good stuff. So I've been I've been diligent about that. So when I do go talk to these big companies and they're like, oh no, we have our own terms of service, and I'm like, great. And so they send over this like you know six page legalese document, and like I read it. And I think I understand most of it and it seems okay-ish. Or they like will sometimes like redline our doc and be like, legal wants these changes to your terms of service. It's like, okay, this seems okay. But I'm kind of going by my own, you know, limited knowledge. How reckless is that? Like, would you, are you hiring, like, were you hiring lawyers to like review all these changes to make sure nothing was slipping through that is potentially worse than you think it is? I, 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 was, uh, I was fortunate because our COO actually had a law degree. And that was a very nice dual purpose person to have in the company, which was if I ever felt uneasy, I would say, Steve, can you read this? <laughs> and, and then he would often come, come back and say, like, here's 11 things that have risk on them from my perspective. And I, as the ultimate decision maker, would say I'm comfortable with risks one through nine. But these two, I agree. Like, that's just you, you need somebody that thinks like a lawyer at the very least is what I'm trying to say. Um, and so that could be a lawyer, which you're going to end up paying $500 every time for somebody to do that, maybe more. Uh, or you bring somebody in-house that is like an enterprise salesperson with a lot of domain experience in, in looking at these contracts. That that can be hard because the way sales is done at Tuple is not necessarily the same way sales are done at other organizations. And then the last one is, yeah, I mean, if, if it just so happens that uh, Joel or Spencer got their JD you know, uh, before, <laughs> before, beforehand, uh, that can help, but I, that is really valuable. Um, that definitely, it saves me cause I am, I'm the happy puppy salesperson. Like I, I just want everyone to be my friend and get all the sales done. And I'm like the champion's best pal. That was n never good at looking at a contract with a critical eye because, you know, I, I just never saw the things they saw. And, and a lot of times the other company, especially if they were startups, so like, Yes, Shopify is one thing, but like if you end up, you know, you're about to do a deal with, um, you know, some well-funded startup over there, they don't necessarily have like a, an ax to grind or like a strong preference in some of these things either. Like they're also, they're also making it up. So 
it's just going to like who fills that vacuum of ignorance, right? Is it going to be you <laughs> or, or or not? And like if you don't bother, they're not going to bother either. But like if you do bother, they might be like, oh, yeah, that's we agree. That's that's kind of dumb. Let's just accept that. So I, I did that, too. Like I sold to um, venture backed startups in the supply chain space who really weren't trying to be difficult. They would just ask they would just ask for things to see if they could get away with it. Right. And they're like, and having somebody they can call that I'd be like, yeah, no, I don't think so. They're like, ah, okay, fine. Cross that out. I'm like what? Like, like, wait a minute. What? I thought we were friends. It's like, yeah, but these are contracts. And like, at some point, somebody who's not friends with either of us is going to look at this and say, why were you so stupid? Or, you know, um, so it's all, yep. all part of growing up. Totally. Okay. Taking contracts seriously. Sounds important. Yeah. 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 Yes. I'm definitely in the same mindset where it's to me, it's like, yeah, let's, let's just get this done. Like if it looks basically okay, that seems fine. Like surely we're never going to see each other, but that's probably not the the way. Yep. That was like my first five contracts and you guess which five were like the most scrutinized during our acquisition. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So enough to give you a heart attack later, you know? So yeah. Uh, Yep. I believe it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm curious about just like let you freestyle for a minute of like things you think it'd be worth trying or looking into or swapping around for two any thoughts you've just had yeah while while watching i think it goes back to you having somebody that works with you on these deals it might be the biggest ask like a coach you mean (laughs) or somebody you could just throw something over to i did this all the time it's like i'm about to send this email can you look at this and tell me if this is like the right thing i should be asking for like Sales works so much better through the ups and downs when I had somebody that I could come back to the room with and just say, like, this is how this is going. Now, you're skipping a couple chapters. That's the thing that I come back to with this, where it's like you're not having to persuade people and all that stuff. So it might be might be over, you know, OP for you to have somebody that like helps you navigate persuasion and all that stuff. But I think for you. Like you could end up having a somebody with sales operations experience that knows all the mechanics and can just like streamline that. Like, might be worth exploring. What could somebody do in a month, or two months, or three months? Sitting with you, sitting with you for the first month, working with you for the second, and then deploying a bunch of cool stuff for the third. Like that could that could really help. Could also free you up to do. I I just think like. Sales is a, um, it's a hard solo player game, right? So whether it's persuasion or mechanics right now, you're just, you're just having a ball swimming in the, in the pool. <laughs> but like, I, I, I think you would benefit a lot just like anybody else from having someone with more experience support you in one of the, in, in one of those ways. That's probably the easiest way. And that could pick one, maybe like, maybe it's legal, maybe it's operations, maybe it's pricing. But like between those three, like imagine if your pricing was better, your your contracting was better and your operations were better, you know, it's hard to know what that's worth, but I got to think that's worth something, you know, and I don't know your volume of deals right now. So maybe it's, maybe it's not. So, you know, if you have, it's like, I'm working like maybe 10 at a time at this point. Oh, geez. (laughs) Like pick two, (laughs) take two, uh, and call me Uh a quarter. Yeah, I, okay. I, would, I would I would pick two of those if you're doing that volume. I was thinking like if you're only doing one or two at a time, maybe maybe pick one or something like that. But yeah, man, uh, mm-hmm. 
That's too- I mean, they're all slow. Yeah. So it's like I check in once a day and like, okay, do I need to email anybody to ping them about the thing? And so it's not like a ton of work, but there is a lot of, you know, balls in the air, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if if you add up the total amount of revenue that those contracts are worth potentially mm-hmm. over the next year or two or three years, that is a lot of revenue to bet on, right? To to yeah. <laughs> to it. use as a learning experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 that as well. But if you're like, wow, that's like $1.5 million worth of revenue. Should I spend $15,000 to like make it better? You know, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. obviously. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I like it. Yeah. Cool. Well, I don't want to let you go before you have a chance to talk at least a little bit about what you're up to these days. Oh, yes. I'm up to things and uh, up to my neck and things. I, it, it's it's good. So right now I'm working on Summit. Summit is a every startup CFO is the new tagline I have for it. And, you know, a CFO is a chief financial officer. And the idea is strategic finance is not something that most early stage startups especially get into or realize the value of. And so what I'm trying to do is between my experience and then infusing that experience in this product, can I help early stage companies realize the benefits of strategic finance earlier in their life cycle? So that would be things like forecasting, fundraising, team compensation, even cash flow forecasting runway. I think runway is one that we're all familiar with. So it's kind of a nice toe in, but I'm building a product for that and it's called Summit. Uh, and it's a freemium approach, so I want to make it really, really easy for folks to get started. And uh, on the ground right now, I'm working on a premium version, so that will be coming out soon. And I am doing customer development with uh, a few startups that are kind of later on in their life cycle, so you know, six figures plus, sometimes seven figures in revenue, and really figuring out what the highest value use cases are for the product. And in some of those cases, one side benefit, uh, which I'm also working on is financing. So I'm helping a couple of startups in particular think through, you know, how much money do they, they could really use money to do things like we just talked about if they don't have the $15,000 necessarily to spend on the coaching contracting help that they need to improve those things. But it's like obvious that if they did, it would be better for their businesses. So helping them think through where to get that, especially in the current environment where, there's a lot of lending options. There's a lot of new alternative venture capital options. Um, a CFO in a large organization will also help with financing and figuring out where to raise money. So I'm helping them think through those things. So having a lot of fun, figuring out how to get it off the ground from a revenue standpoint. And um, yeah, it's kind of a, I guess my CTA, if there is one, is uh, try out Summit and follow me on Twitter if, you, if you'd like. I'm, I'm happy to help startups think through these kinds of things. How can someone in the audience know if they might be a good fit? Like, what's the do you have a a sense of the profile? I think for the early stage, it's there's kind of two triggers. One trigger is I'm not really sure where to invest in growth. Um, I I know that I want to grow, but I'm not sure how to grow this thing. It's not obvious to me what the next thing is to do. I've got six ideas, and which one do I work on, and which one is going to help the business in terms of best business impact? That's a dilemma or a, a challenge that that this helps with uh, and can help with directly the other one is somebody very important whether it's my team or my boss in some cases at a larger company needs a forecast and the forecast the accuracy of that like ties to my credibility so if it's if i just make something up 
in a spreadsheet, I could end up embarrassing myself. <laughs> that is a, that's an emotional trigger, but it's also a very, um, it's a common one. And that comes along more uh, on the lines of, you know, if you're doing a 409A valuation, which is something you'll start to do once you give options to employees, um, if you are thinking about borrowing money and the payment terms involve, you know, growth in your business, like revenue-based financing, or if you're just telling your team, hey, here's our revenue goal for the year. Like once you feel the burden of that goal, like being realistic but achievable, you know, that's a good time to start thinking more seriously about your forecasting abilities. It's like, do you as the founder want to keep not having a sanity check on that and not really, you know, being rigorous or is it okay to just keep promising? And this is something I talked about in a recent podcast episode on product journey is like, there's risks there obviously to your leadership uh, credibility. So I, I can help with that as well. Th those are kind of two uh, sweet spots that I'm starting to zero in on. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for and asking. I, I can put out a, a pitch for you in general as a helpful, knowledgeable person. I've had some good email exchanges with you that, that definitely helped a lot. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Anytime. My DMs are open. Cool. Nice. All right. If you'd like to hit the show notes for this episode, that's artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.